I want you to go in your Bible, Joshua chapter 14, verse 11. We're concluding our series, uh, Give Me That Mountain. And uh, this is technically part five. Joshua chapter 14, verse 11 says, As yet I am as strong this day, this is Caleb speaking, as on the day that Moses sent me. And just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. We've been reading this every week. This is Caleb speaking. And he doesn't just say, give me this mountain, and it ends. He says, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke. I want you to know this. When we're talking about God giving us mountains or claiming what God has given us, it's not just something we're deciding, I want that mountain, and I want that mountain. He says, give me the mountain that God spoke to me. When we're talking about the mountains that God has for us, these are places of influence that God has gifted you to take over. So th th there might be a, a place of influence where you can use your gift, and the reason that God's gifted you in it is so that you could have influence in that area and affect culture because we're crazy enough to believe, not for full buildings, not for multiple campuses, we're crazy enough to believe for city transformation. We believe in God for a move of his spirit to, to move across DFW to everyone that watches online to really see city transformation. How many have faith for city transformation? More than just a couple services. We're talking city transformation. The, your mountain is whatever God's called you to. We, we're using mountain because of our Old Testament uh, text and story, but really your mountain is your sphere of influence that God has called you to. A, a, couple, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, taking my wife's car, Jamie's car, into the car wash, and I was trying to be a good husband and get it all cleaned up. And that's actually a lie. I wasn't being a good husband. I just care that it's clean. And she doesn't. So it doesn't matter if I'm a good husband or a bad husband on it. She just, she, she has a car. That's, that's all she cares about. I like it clean. And uh, so I was going through the car wash, and my first time in this car wash. And, and uh, while I'm going through, I saw like part of the car wash grab the windshield wiper, and it got snagged, and it broke her windshield wiper off. And uh, so I'm like, man, that is, that is not good. Not because she was going to be upset. She didn't care. She'd be fine with one windshield wiper. She doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter to her. I cared. And so I pulled out this little young guy working there, and I'm like, hey, um, like the car wash ripped off my windshield wiper. And uh, he's like, oh, man, I got to get a manager. He gets the manager. Manager comes, looks at it, and he, he laughs. And uh, he looked at me like I was, like, lying. And I, I said, no, I came in with two windshield wipers, but I came out of your car wash with one. And he laughs, and he's like, man, I hear it all out here, like, like I'm not telling him the truth. And now, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm a really good Christian most of the time. But, but I, I am human in sporting events, in small moments where I feel not believed. Um, I, I might, you know, my, my flesh comes out a little bit. And, and, and so he laughs and he looks at me and says, what do you want me to do? I said, I'd like for you to do two things. One is you're going to stop laughing. Two is you're going to turn around and go back in the office and order me a new windshield wiper. And then I'm like, Lord, please forgive me. And then I told him, I said, sir, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a pastor or anything. I'm just like, I just got saved. I'm just, please forgive me. I'm just working out my salvation. I'm, I'm joking. You know what's interesting to me? There are some things that we're willing to throw down and fight for that absolutely have no value. And then there's some things that have real eternal kingdom value. And we won't go after them. 
What Caleb had was a different spirit, a spirit that said, God, you gave me this mountain. I'm going after it. And for some of us, God's given us these places, these spheres of influence, these opportunities, these gifts to use. And, and, and we can be, or I'll just use my own example, I can be more upset about something trivial, more ready to take ground on a windshield wiper then I am the mountain that God has promised to me. And I believe this. I believe God's raising up Caleb's, people with a different spirit. People that said, God, if you spoke it, I believe it. If you promised me a mountain, I'm taking it. God, you gave me these gifts for a reason. I got to fan them into flame. I got to stir them up. Because God doesn't give you a gift so that you can get an award or a trophy for your gift. God gives you a gift so that you can use it. You have been specifically gifted to claim the mountains that God God has promised to you. God is never going to give you a mountain or ask you to take a mountain that he has not gifted you to take. God has wired you intrinsically with the gifts and talents that you need in order to take the mountains that God's asking you to take. Now, we, we've been pulling this whole, whole series from one story in the book of Numbers. In Numbers, we know that Moses sent out 12 spies to the land that was promised to them, the promised land. The mountains that were promised them. And, and, and these 12 spies that went out, they had different reports. Right? Ten came back and they said, we certainly cannot do this. Two came back and said, we certainly can do this. Ten came back and said, we can't. Two came back and said that we can. I want to I spend our time together looking at what was the line of demarcation between those who said we can't and those who say we can. Obviously, we all want to be the people who can. But many of us find ourselves in the situation as these 10 spies that there is, there's things that happen in our life that make us believe or make us lack belief in what God wants to do or maybe can do or is willing to do. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 it says, they gave Moses this account. These are the spies. They're coming back, and they told them, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruits. This is what they're saying. It, it is what God said it was. God said it was good. We went in. It's good. He said it was a promised land flowing with milk and honey. It, it is. It is that. He says, but, now, anytime you're going to try to do something great for God, there's always, there's always a but. Now, my, my boys would be laughing right now, but, but Genesis, my youngest, told me as long as I spell it B-U-T, I can say that. But if I say B-U-T-T, that's inappropriate, all right? So there is always, there is always a B-U-T, a big B-U-T, but right in the middle of you trying to take the mountains that God has for you. He says, he says this, he says, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. That's, that, was, that was a line, a lineage of giants, that there was rumors that were in the land. They said, we saw them. They're real. There's really something to be afraid of. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Now listen to this. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up. And take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. What is the difference between we certainly can't and we certainly can? What was in Joshua and Caleb that came out of the land saying, yep, we got it. And the other ten saying, uh-uh, no way. 
What, what, was, what was the line of debarkation? They all agreed on this, that the land was good. You know, if we took a poll across us all today, we probably would all agree on this thing, that God's got a good plan for us. There wouldn't be too many of us that would say, no, I don't think he does. I don't think God has a good plan for me. And if he does, that's another conversation. If you feel like God has a bad plan for you, we gotta, we got to encourage you. God's got a good plan for you. We, uh, God has a good plan for you. Most of us would agree, but it's not about agreeing that God has a good plan because they all agreed on this. It was the but that got in the way. That was the line of demarcation. They said the land is good. God's plan for you is good. God's future for you is good, but, but the people. But the, did you know there's always going to be opposition to every, um, every bit of spiritual progress that you're, you are trying to take? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now, we love that scripture, but the good is determined by God, not us. So how do you know if he worked it for good or not? He's the one that gives the definition on good. So like, oh, sister, hold on. He works for the good. What's good? What? He determines what is good. So there has to be an element of trust that says God's going to work it for the good. Now, I don't know if it's good or not. It doesn't look good to me, but I'm going to trust him that he's going to take my situation and he's going to work it for the good. We have a real enemy. The people were powerful. The cities were fortified. The giants were real. And that was their line of demarcation where the ten said, yeah, yeah, the, the enemy is the enemy's big. We're, we're not doing this. The, the real enemy is not the problem. The real enemy is the fear that the enemy spreads. That, friends, is the mountain that keeps you from the mountain. It's called the mountain of fear. It, it, it's, it's the mountain that gets in the way of every mountain of promise. It's, it's the thing that, 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 that really can grip us because the mountain of fear is a battle that each of us fight, and it's a private battle. You, you know, there's a difference between private battles and public battles. Publicly, we want everyone to think we're awesome. We're amazing. We're successful. We're going to put millionaire in our social media profile. It's on our bio to make sure everybody knows. Listen, if you're not actually a millionaire, it doesn't make you one by saying you are. That's like, I mean, I know you're trying to get more followers, but it's like, if you ain't one, you ain't one. Because you have, you have to win in private in order to really win in, in, in public. And, and, and this is the truth, is that many people today are more concerned with public victories than private victories. But if you have not won privately, your public victory won't last long. People will always get found out if you're only public, publicly winning, but you're not privately winning. There has to be congruency between your public life and your private life. You can't be one thing here and another thing there. There has to be something that lines up on the inside of you. When we talk about King David, you think about King David. He's a king. He's the, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. He's a giant killer. But you know what? The way that, that, that David got his confidence was by being in the wilderness as a shepherd boy. He was, in fact, he was the youngest of seven boys, and his dad forgot about him. Right, Samuel came to, announce, uh, to anoint the next king, and he came to his dad, Jesse, and they anointed all his sons, and he said, nope, 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 nope. And, and then Samuel says, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, oh, right. I think after, you, after five, though, you get a pass. Uh, after five, you get a pass. It's like, you're part of the family. You got the same last name, you're in, okay? 
He says, oh yeah, there's David. David's out in the fields. Now, this is interesting. When David went to go fight Goliath, he said this. He says, Texas-inspired version, T-I-S, this isn't my first rodeo. He says, there was once a lion that came out to attack the sheep, and I killed it. There was once a bear that came out to attack the sheep, and I killed that as well. And I'll do to the giant the same that I did to the lion and the bear. He had confidence in public because he was faithful in private. See, if you want to have public faith, you've got to overcome some private fear. And the mountain of fear stands in the way of every believer trying to keep them from the mountain of influence that they're destined to take. God has this stuff for you that you're destined to take. And you know the thing that'll keep you from it? Fear. Fear. Fear is a negative emotion caused by a real or perceived threat to, it could be perceived. Sometimes what we're afraid of is not even real. It's a perceived threat. My, my, my wife, Jamie, she does not like storms at all. And uh, we, we had some, like when we first moved to Texas from Washington, we, we encountered some, some storms and, and so she's a little bit afraid of storms. And, and, and so now the storm has passed, but the fear has stayed. So, so now when it rains, she's like, oh my gosh, it's a, so it's not even a storm, but because there was a storm that once was dangerous, now the fear, does this make sense? Most fear is the remains of a threat that was. I'm afraid of something now because of something I experienced then. So I'm crippled now, even though the fear isn't even that powerful, right? It's raining. It's not storming, but the rain reminds me of the storm I was in that took out my house and took out my car. So now I'm immobilized by fear because of what has been. Fear reminds you of the pain of yesterday while prophesying the doom of tomorrow. It, it's a nightmare that reminds you of how bad things have been and prophesies to your tomorrow of how bad it will be. Can I just tell you this? Fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Fear is a bully. Fear is a liar. And my Bible says fear is a spirit. The Bible says God has not given you, I feel the power of God, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He gives you three things to overtake one thing. He says, I've given you something to overcome the fear that is in your life. And in fact, that fear is a spirit. And it's got to go. If I'm going to be a mountain taker, I have to privately overcome the mountain of fear. The mountain of fear. Fear is the question, what if? That's what, what is fear? It's the what if. What if I fail? What if she does it? What if he does that? What if they don't? What if, the, what, what if, what if, what if? It's, it's the fear of, of what if. You know, when, when God spoke to Joshua throughout the book of Joshua, he uses these phrases to encourage him. It's almost like God can see the future. And he speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, and he tells him over and over again, be strong and courageous. You ever heard this? Well, before we celebrate too much, the reason that God would tell him to be strong and courageous, because there's about to be a battle where he's going to need strength and courage. So we love that scripture, and we put it on our, our, our fridge, and we post it everywhere. Be strong. To, you wouldn't need strength and courage 
unless you got a problem that would rob you of strength and courage. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 says, Be strong and very, not just courageous, very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. You know what that means? Don't just think about it. Speak it. Talk about it. Talk about the goodness of God. Talk about the promises of God. Meditate on it. That means think it. Speak it. Think it day and night so that you may be careful. Say it. Think it. This is another message for a different time. Say it. Think it. And obey it. There you go. You can preach that. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, and only then, you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? God just wants to make sure we're getting it. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Doesn't that sound a little insensitive? That's not even politically correct to tell someone, do not be discouraged. The only person that can tell someone, don't be afraid or don't be discouraged as a command is the one that has the authority to help them not be afraid or not be discouraged. It's insensitive of me to tell you, don't be afraid. But if I had the power to help you in whatever you're in, I can tell you, don't be afraid. It is insensitive to me for me to tell you, don't be discouraged. But if I had the power to help you in the situation that you're in, I can tell you emphatically and with authority, do not be discouraged. So when God speaks to Joshua, he says something with authority. He doesn't say something out of insensitivity. He says it with an emphatic statement, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? It says, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Did, did you know that the antidote to fear is not 17 steps to peace and happiness? It's, it's, not a, it's not a counselor. It's not, and we love all those things, and I'm going to give you points and all, all, all that. You know what it is? Super cliche, it's the presence of God. If you read all throughout the scriptures, that every time there is fear overcome, he overcomes it. Whenever God says, do not be afraid. In fact, I don't know if you know this, the Bible says, fear not, 365 times. How many days are there in the year? There's a fear not in the Bible for every single day of the year. I mean, fear is rampant, the mountain of fear. But he says, he says fear not, because I am with you. You ever, you ever been in a situation by yourself? You've been hiking by yourself, woods, starting to get dark. You're like, okay, this is, not, this, this is not good. You ever been in a dark house by yourself? You start hearing things, and you're like, hello. This is how I fight my battle. This is, I mean, it's like, you never hear me sing until I'm alone and scared. And then I'm like, man, I'm, I'm praising. How great. He's all good. I mean, it's like, I'll, I'll belt it. I'll belt it when, when the time comes. But it's interesting you add one person to the scenario, and you're not even afraid. What changed? The noises are still there. The threat is still there. The only thing that changed is you're going to die with someone. That's it. And we can, we can die unafraid together because we're together. You have a God who says, do not be afraid. 
and do not be discouraged. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I am with you. The antidote to fear is the presence not just of anyone, but of someone. And his name is Jesus. And when he's with you, friend, you don't have to fear bad news, evil report, or anything that man may do to you. You're anointed by God, called by God, loved by God, on purpose by God, created by God, and for a specific purpose and to take specific mountains. That's, that's who we serve. So I, I was praying this week, and I thought, okay, so how, how, do we, how do we fix this fear problem? How do we fix the, how do we overcome the fear mountain? I know we got to have, we got to have Jesus with us. That, that's what he says. That's the antidote, all, all, all that. I want to give you four quick things as we close. Four quick things that will fix your fear problem. You fix these things, and you'll fix your fear problem. Some of you are like, oh, man, this is really, this is, this is good. Well, we'll, see, we'll see, see, how, see how it flies. Number one is you have to fix your faith. Your faith is your belief in what God says. When I say fix your faith, I mean you got to find the promise that God gave you, and you got to not back down from it. That God, you said you would never leave me or forsake me, so I'm not going to be afraid of being alone anymore. Right, because I'm fixing my faith. I'm locking on to the promise of God. God said in that passage of scripture, speak the word, meditate on the word, and do what it says. Remind yourself over and over and over again of the promises of God. Fix your faith. Second thing you gotta fix is you have to, now I had to do this so it all flow, okay? So just forgive my grammatical errors. Fix your follow. We talked about this last week, is that Caleb actually means devoted. It, it, it means that he, he, the Bible says this, that he followed God wholeheartedly. So I have to fix my faith. I believe his word, but I have to fix my follow. We talked about this last week, is that when my faith lags, my follow keeps me close. That, that, that means I'm, I got wholehearted devotion, that when I don't feel it, I'm still following closely. You ever, you ever seen that bumper sticker that says, do you follow Jesus this close? You ever seen, you guys don't follow that close, like I, I need to work on my driving. Man, you need to be so close in your relationship with Jesus that nobody can cut in on you. No anxiety, no, when you're following close enough, no, ain't nobody cutting you off. No anxiety, no fear, no discouragement. Are you following that close? We got a lot of people that follow Jesus at a distance. Oh yeah, we're following. If, if somebody can change lanes or something, can change lanes in between you and him, you're not close enough. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's called the trailer effect. You're not just your own person driving your own car. It's a trailer effect. I'm connected to him. Anywhere that he goes, I go. If he goes through the light, I go through the light. If he changes lanes, I change lanes. It's, I got to fix my follow. The third one is this. I got to fix my food. This is what the Bible teaches us. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, okay? The opposite of that is also true. Fear comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of the world. If my faith comes from hearing the Word of God, my fear comes from hearing the bad news of the world. So I can have faith, and I can follow closely but if I never feed my faith, 
if I never feed my spirit, if I only feed my fear, it will get bigger and bigger and bigger. What runs your life is what you feed the most. I'm just a fearful person. You're, you're, I'm not trying to be insensitive to your situation, but I am going to tell you lovingly that you might be feeding the wrong thing. But you don't know my life. You don't know. I don't. I don't. All I know is that if you starve it, it'll die. Well, it's hard to starve it. I know. I, I, I get it. But the truth remains. If I starve it, it'll die. I got to fix my food. I, lastly, I got to fix my focus. I got to fix my focus. You know, when the spies came out, they were focusing on the wrong thing. The ten that said, we certainly can't, they were focusing on the wrong thing. They said, but the giants, but the people, but the city. And then they said, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight. You remember this? We talked about this. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight. They were already defeated because they focused on the wrong thing. They, they projected how they felt about themselves on the enemy. If we think we're failures, they must think we're failures. If you focus on the wrong thing, you'll never be able to take the mountain that God has destined you to take because you're going to have to overcome that mountain of fear to get there. And you've got to focus. You've got to focus your heart on God. Watch this. Psalm 34, verse 3. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. To... You know what it's saying? It's saying, enlarge God. Make your view of God bigger. Focus on him more. Exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from how many? All of them. All of them. You got any fear in your life? You got any fear in your life? He delivered me from all my fears. Now, I, I, I've, I've lived long enough to know that there's healthy fear and unhealthy fear. Right? I've, I've learned there's some animals I should stay away from. That's healthy fear. There's some heights I shouldn't jump from. That's healthy fear. But whenever a fear starts to cripple my potential, it's not only unhealthy, it's a spirit. That's what we said, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Whatever you feed, you magnify. You ever been worrying about a situation and the more you think about it, the bigger the situation gets. I mean, you get a text message and you're like, oh man, they must be mad. And then you start thinking through it. And before the day is out, you're like, we will never speak again. This is irreparable. And you haven't even talked to them. And then you call them and you're like, hey, I got the text. And they're like, yeah, yeah, well, I think you misunderstood what I was saying. Like, wow, that fear just took, took off. That's what fear does. Fear grows, it lies to us, it bullies us, it threatens us, it looks bigger than it is. And we have to focus on the right thing. So instead of magnifying the problem, we start to magnify the Lord. Psalm 23, I should have just spent the whole time on this. Now I only got a couple minutes left and I gave you my favorite part. Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now this is encouraging because a shepherd 
doesn't drive sheep, he leads sheep. So I'm never taking a mountain with God behind me. I'm taking a mountain following where he already is. That should set somebody free. He is my shepherd. He leads me. So I, uh, he's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. So a sheep knows the voice of his shepherd. So I'm not trying to just take mountains in culture because I want to. I'm following his, I'm following his voice. Is that you? Is that you? Are you calling me to entertainment? Are you calling me to? I, I got to tell you guys, I, I, I said last week about how we're supposed to take the mountain of entertainment. I, I, I said that I've never seen a good Christian film. Okay, I just want to say this publicly. We have Christian film writers in our church. So I offended them, and um, I'm going to repent now. Yours was good. <laughs> but you can do a little better, okay? You can do a little better. Just like, we need a little more anointed on it. I, one of them called me this week and like, really? They were joking. Like, really? I'm like, well, you know, truth hurts. <laughs> you don't have to take a mountain that God's not going ahead of you on. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, which means he's given me everything I need to take it. I'm not going to be in want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters of which we had taught. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through. Stop. If you're walking through hopelessness, just walk through. No, this is not trying to be insensitive. I'm just saying don't, don't stop. Don't stop at the mountain of fear because the mountain of promise is just on the other side. The mountain of blessing is just on the other side. The mountain of provision is just on the other side. The mountain of the miraculous is just on the other side. So just make sure you walk through. Walk all the way through. Don't let it stop you. Walk all the way through. Yea, though I walk through. That right there will set you free. You've got to walk through. Don't stop in it. Walk through it. Where am I walking? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. Wait, you know what shadow is? My shadow's on the stage right here. My shadow just hit him. My shadow can come over here and I think if I can get it kind of right on Jacob over there. It hit him, he didn't feel it. But it was my shadow. Do you know most of the fear that we have in our lives is not because of death, it's the shadow of death. It's, it looks like it. It looks like I'm going to die. It looks like he's going to cheat. It looks like it's, and we're crippled in our faith because of what it looks like. Yea, though I walk through, I'm not stopping. The valley of the shadow. What if the things that had crippled us and immobilized us were not actually death? But it was just shadows of death. This is, I've, I've been preaching this for years about Psalm 23 because you know what I love about a shadow? You can make a shadow go away if you shine a light on it. Maybe just for all of us, we just need to understand. What? Let me just finish it because this, 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 this will set you free. It says, yea, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I need some light. I need some sunshine on the shadow. No worries, for you are with me. 
oh, you're with me. The antidote to fear is not four steps or 12 steps. It is his presence, friend. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Not because I'm so great, but because you're with me. This is what you should declare over 2022, over your family and over your finances. I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. I, not any area, no place, no real estate, no moment, no idea, no mountain. I will fear no evil because you are with me. You are with me. Come on, stand up with me all across this place because you're, because you're with me, because you're with me, because you're with me. You're with me in the valley. You're with me on the mountain. You're with me in sickness. You're with me in health. You're with me when the economy crashes. You're with me when I make money. You're with me in war. You're with me in peace. You're with me in heartache. And you're with me in joy. You're, you're with me. You're with me. What does the psalmist say? What can man do to me? What can man do? You are with me. He's my refuge, my strength, my salvation, my rock. He's with me. What did it say, Joshua 1? He says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because I am with you. You know the only thing keeping you from doing something great for God? It's not money. It's not gift. It's not time. Fear. If you, know, if you had no fear, think what you could do. I'm telling you, that's the mountain we got to go after because when we win... The battle on that private mountain of fear, it will empower us to take the public mountain of influence that God has put in our life. And sometimes overcoming fear is doing something afraid. It is not every bit of fear leaving is deciding emphatically, I'm not going by myself, but I'm going to step right into it. Friend, you can't run from it. You got to step into it. I don't go around it. I have to walk through it. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through the heartache. I walk through the discouragement. I walk through it. 